If you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, as we continue our walk through that book. Thank God for it. And I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 17, a few verses there and pray over the word as we receive it. And then I, I, I have something special I think that God would have me encourage you with today in, in what is a pretty poignant moment here in uh, the book of Acts, the story of the church and the story of um, our brother Paul. So there in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, as we open your word today, I thank you, Lord, that, that you are able to build us up uh, with it. I thank you, Lord, that, that you, you give to us in your word an inheritance that lasts through all generations, uh, that, that won't be exhausted, that won't be worn out. And that we can come to your word and find you there working, moving and acting on our behalf. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, you will cause us by the power of the Holy Spirit to take your word to heart today as we incline our ears to what you would say in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So here in Acts chapter 20, remember, we came off of Paul in Ephesus the church of the Ephesians, the Ephesian church last week. And we saw just the dramatic change that came about as he stayed there and ministered for uh, years with them, teaching them, proclaiming the gospel to them. And as they began to believe, it, it was proven that Jesus has power over uh, the darkness and the occult and the things that they were trying to walk in in order to preserve their or control their life. You know, we want to control our life. We want it to go the way we want it to go. They were using uh, occult practices or what you might call it witchcraft to do that idol worship, worshiping false gods and, and paths of darkness to do that. And it showed that Jesus is more powerful. And because of that, because of the dramatic change in that local economy, the people that made their money off of selling those types of things, whether it be idols or dark practices, spell books, things like that, they lost their income. And so they rioted in the streets because of the impact that the church of Jesus Christ was having on their uh, business. That's a blessing, right? And so if you go back to the first of chapter 20, it's like after the riot, after the outbreak in Ephesus, Paul left and he went to Macedonia. And we'll cover some of that when we get to it in Bible study, who he's traveling with, what they're traveling for, where they're going. There's an interesting story in there about a young man named Eutychus. And we'll touch on that as well. But what we see Paul doing is he's traveling from where he is back to Jerusalem. And what it'll tell us earlier in chapter 20 is that he decided not to go back through Ephesus 
probably because it would have taken too long. And he was trying to get to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. He's trying to get to, back to Jerusalem for that special day of Pentecost. And so what, what I just read is he's called since he didn't go to Ephesus. He went to Miletus, which is a little ways away, about a day's journey away. And he called them to Ephesus, all of uh, the leaders from the church there, kind of his core group, his friends, those that he had spent uh, time with day in and day out, those that had received the most from his ministry there in Ephesus. And what we're going to find is that Paul is saying goodbye, that this is going to be a big moment of reflection for him. And we have those in our life. We try to take them at least uh, once a year where we kind of back up, lift our head up and say, okay, what's really going on? What's really important? What's my direction? Uh, How is this going? Where's my relationship with him? We can't afford to do that every day. We can't afford to think about those big questions and those big things every day because it would wear us out. But here we see Paul doing that uh, with this group because he's not going to see them again. Because of that, he's dealing with really big themes. You're going to hear him talk about remember what's happened. Remember what's gone on and remember what you need to do next. Again, a big, poignant moment here in the book of Acts. And, And what we'll be able to hear when he speaks to them uh, we'll be able to hear also a message for us because he's going to he's going to share with them not only his his past, what's been going on, his purpose, but also his prayer for the future and his prayer for the church going forward. So, again, in 17, he summons the elders, the leadership team, his close group of friends, and he tells them from day one, y'all have been around me from day one. You know how I was when I was among you. We talked before about his consistency, his willingness to move in and work hard amongst them and be a part of the community. He's saying, you've seen me. You know how I am. You know how I have been. I'm consistent. I wasn't false. And how many of you know there's a lot that can be said for that? And we want that to be said about us, right? That you, you know me, you, you've been around me, you know that I'm not uh, faking it, that I'm not being phony, that I'm being uh not just legitimate, but genuine in how I'm dealing with you because you've always been around. You can't be around somebody all the time, day in and day out and not see the real them. You can't. So he's saying, you know me, you've been around me. Verse 19, I serve the Lord with all humility, with tears during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. Remember, they were coming at him because they didn't like the message of Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And you look at some of those phrases because he's talking about over a long period of time. I served the Lord and I served him with humility. I didn't put myself first. I put him first and I put others second. And I served him with tears that there were some hard times that he went through. There were some difficulties that he went through. And he said even trials that came about by other people coming at me, his own people. He was a Jew. He said these were brought about these trials that came to me because of the plots of the Jews of which he was one. And so he's going through and he's talking about the past. Here's what's been going on. Here's how everything has gone. And then he starts talking about in verse 22, his purpose. He said, now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. 
but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. He said, I'm going compelled by the spirit to Jerusalem. I'm not coming back this way. I'm going, I've got my eyes set to Jerusalem. Reminds me of when Luke wrote about Jesus setting his eyes towards Jerusalem, towards the end of the book there. And we know what would happen with him. Paul is having a little bit of that same ominous moment. He's like, I, I, I'm bound by the Spirit. The Spirit's compelling me to go to Jerusalem, not knowing for sure what I'll encounter there. He said, but every town I go to, the Spirit keeps just bringing up to me over and over that, that chains and affliction wait ahead of me. And yet he's still saying, I'm going. Why? He's like, because my life isn't about me. I'm not considering my life a value that I need to preserve it, that I need to sustain it, that I need to try to make something out of it. He said, instead, my purpose is to finish my course to finish my race, we'll hear him use that language too. It's the same, same type of phrase there. My goal is to get to the end of the path that Christ has put me on. I could pick an easier one, but I'd rather be on the one that he put me on. That's what I'm here for. He gave me this ministry. I received it from him. I didn't receive it from a man. He'll write about that as well. He said, my purpose is to finish my course, to run this race and to testify to the gospel of God's grace. He's like, my, my life and my existence is not worth more than my purpose. I could sustain my life and not fulfill my purpose. But what did Jesus say? Those who try to save their life are going to lose it. But those who lay down their life for his sake will find true life, right? He was compelled by the spirit to go. He said, I've got to finish my course. I've got to finish running this race, this ministry that I've received from Jesus to testify, to, to speak out, to be a witness of the gospel of grace. Because he knew how much of a difference the knowledge of God's grace would make in the hearts of men and women. To take legalism off of them, to take that performance off of them and say, as you come, you're received. Not because of who you are, or what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you, enter into the kingdom and he's seen people delivered and set free, even though it brought him great difficulty to preach it. And remember and when, when Kelly shared out of the book of Ruth and the Lord just ministered to me there that at any life that is a benefit to another will include sacrifice. Any life, for your life to be a benefit to someone else, it's going to be sacrificial. It's going to involve sacrifice. And all kingdom purpose, kingdom purpose in this life will include affliction. He said, I know that's what's waiting for me on the other side of that is affliction. But it's my kingdom purpose to push on anyway. And affliction means pressure. Pressing, even trouble. And Paul talked about that. He said, I've served in humility. I've served with tears. I've served the Lord even through great trials. And he's talking about pressing ahead, even though chains and afflictions wait. Why? Because I still have a purpose. I have a purpose and I'm willing to endure those things to reach uh, the end of the course, the race that Christ has put me on to, to accomplish the purpose that he's given me. 
We all have a kingdom purpose. And really, only the, only the kingdom is where we can find true purpose. We, we can try to find it in other things. What, why am I here? What am I actually doing? Only the kingdom can provide true purpose to our hearts, to our lives. And will affliction come with that? Yes, because any kingdom purpose contains affliction for the one who is walking it. Just plan on it. Understand it. It's going to include affliction. And Paul would write about that in Romans 12. He wrote, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be patient during those times where you're pressed. Be patient during those times where it's difficult. Be patient in those times where there are trials and tears. And what? Be persistent in prayer. And this is a message that prevails all the way through the New Testament. That you're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to push through the difficult times. You're going to have to push through the difficult situations. It's going to include difficulty in life. All kingdom purpose will. But don't be overwhelmed. And I wanted to read out of 2 Corinthians, also written by Paul, also probably written during right about this time in his life, right before he, he met the brothers in Miletus. He wrote the book of Romans and the two letters to the Corinthians. And he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us all in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see there, he's like, we're afflicted, but our comfort's coming from God. And because he's comforting us, we're able to comfort others. For just as the sufferings, verse five, just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. Verse six has just been sticking with me for over a year. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we who we him, the ministry, those that are helping, those that are leading. He said, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. He's like, my comfort comes from Christ. And because he comforts me, I'm able to endure affliction and I am afflicted for your comfort. His sufferings, the sufferings of Christ overflow to us. Why? Because we're headed the same direction. We're dealing with the same things in the world. So the things that Christ suffered, his church suffers because we're doing the same things that he did. We're pushing into the same dark spaces that he pushed into that don't want to be lit up. They want to stay dark. And so there's affliction that comes along with that. And he tells them, if we're afflicted, it's so you can be more comfortable. If we, if I, if Paul is afflicted, it is so you can be more comfortable. And we, we, we can see that in life. It's not a fun principle to point out. It's not a fun thing to identify and go, hooray, affliction. So somebody else can be comfortable. But it makes sense when you think about all the different things in life. Think to this weekend, tomorrow, Memorial Day, when we remember all of those servicemen and women who gave the ultimate sacrifice for the in the service of their country, for their countrymen and everyone else who lived there. They were afflicted whether they came back or they didn't. They were afflicted for our comfort. 
They were in danger so that we could be safer, right? And thank God for the sacrifice. Thank God for what they do. You see it. In, well, I'm, I've never served in the military. Well, have, have you been in a household with a family? You see what one, one will be afflicted so another one can be comforted. One will cook supper so another can eat supper. Right. One will mow the yard so that the other ones can enjoy having the yard mowed and the neighbors not making fun of you or calling the city on you. Right. I'm afflicted for your comfort on your job. You're afflicted so someone else can be comforted, whether it's the family that's going to receive benefit from you getting paid or the company that's going to grow because you're there pushing and pushing hard and doing a good job. Affliction brings about comfort for somebody else. Pressing and, and use of all that energy brings about comfort for someone else. And Paul's saying we share in Christ's affliction. Why? Because we're on the same mission. The world hates us just like it hates hated him. There's affliction when you walk the purpose of Christ, but it's for the comfort of others. We receive comfort from him. See, look, what we try to do is we want other people to comfort us. We want other people to support us. And what Paul is saying is you're supposed to receive that from him. And then out of that comfort you receive from him, you can deal with and put up with affliction that's going to bring somebody else comfort. I hope, we're see, I'm, I hope I'm getting that connection across that, that we are afflicted for the comforts of others because he was afflicted for our comfort. It passes down and we don't have to endure it on our own. He funds all the strength that we need. I don't need to be trying to get my strength from you. I'm supposed to bring strength to you that I get from him. And if I put that on you, well, you need to be my strength. You need to be my encouragement. You need to be my help. And I'm not looking to him. We're both going to be messed up. We're going to be afflicted without any comfort. Because he's the only one that can provide it. We, we don't seek comfort as followers of Christ. You're like, I feel like that's what, I've been, well, that's what I want to do. That is what we want to do. But it's a vain pursuit to seek comfort. What we want to seek is the good. Jesus said, lay, lay down your life in service to another. And then you experience what true life is all about. When you seek your own comfort, you're always going to be uncomfortable. When you seek your own happiness, you're always going to be unhappy. Why? Because you've put yourself first. And that's not the way this thing works. It's not. We seek him and his kingdom, even if it brings affliction. We serve even if it brings affliction. Again, we had this meal up here, both of those meals this last week. There was affliction involved in that. There was pressing involved in that. There was having to get up early, stay up late involved in that. There was having to go to the grocery store. There was having to, you know, get, get things ready, get things prepared, set time aside. Why? So somebody else could just pull up and walk in and eat. So they could receive comfort. We were afflicted. And, and thankfully, their comfort was at a much higher level than our affliction. And the gap there is, is filled with value for them. It's like we endured some affliction so you could be comforted in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul's telling them my purpose is to finish my course and the ministry that I've gotten from Jesus, even through affliction. I'm going to double back to this in a minute. But it's OK to be afflicted if it's for the comfort of another when your true comfort, the, the deepest satisfaction of your soul is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, he said, and I, now I know that none of you 
among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. See, again, this is a farewell from him. He's saying, I'm not coming back to Asia. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. I'm not going to see y'all anymore. I'm not going to be able to keep up with you. I'm not going to be able to come and visit you. You won't see my face again. But, but what did he tell them? I'm, I'm innocent of your blood. Your blood is not on my head. It's not on my hands. He uses a term there like that you would use if someone was guilty or not guilty of committing murder. Shedding someone else's blood. He's like, your blood is not on my hands or my head because I've told you everything I was supposed to tell you. I haven't held back any truth from, from, from the Lord. I haven't held back any truth uh, by, by the prompting of the Spirit that I didn't deliver to you. I've told you everything from Him that you need to know for life and for godliness. So if you twist off when I leave here, you can't put that on me. That's what he's saying. He's like, I, get, I was here with you. You know I've been here with you. In humility and tears and serving over and over and over for, 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 for days and weeks and months and years. And, and you've heard everything you've needed to hear. You stand on, on your own two feet now. Don't, don't look to me. Look to him. And so he, he told them about the, the past. Y'all know who I am. Y'all know what I've done. He told them about his purpose, that he's going to finish his course and that he's finished his part of the course amongst them. And then what he'll finish with from here through the end of the chapter is his prayer for them and for those that they represent. Remember, because they're going to go back to the church as a whole. The, 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 this is the leadership team. These are the ones that were with him the most. These are the ones that have stepped into his role in Ephesus that, that's being for the rest of the people there what Paul was for them. And he's going to talk to them about what they need to do in his absence. Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth and lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Saying, guard yourself. Here's who I am. Here's what I've been doing. Here's my purpose in Christ. Here's what I'm encouraging y'all to do once I leave. Guard yourselves. Guard your heart. Take this serious. And guard those that are with you. Guard those that God has given to you to walk with in this life. Why? Because wolves are coming. Wolves are coming. He's like, I'm not going to be here to beat back all the lies that the world would try to bring in, to, to pollute the church, to try to take back those that have come out of darkness and into light, to try to pull them back into darkness with lies and distortions of the truth. He's like, I'm not going to be here to do it. You've got to stand up and you've got to do it because wolves are going to come. Even He said, even out of your own number, what people are going to twist off and start to believe false things that, that are going to be harmful for them. Hold fast to what? The truth that I've been preaching to you for the last three years. Watch out for yourselves. Watch out for each other. It's, it's, you see the family aspect there of, of, of being responsible for one another. He's like, hey, look out for each other. And he says, I've cried over y'all. I've warned y'all that, that the, the liars will always come and you got to push them back with the truth. 
You've got to hold fast to the truth that you've received. You, you can't j just believe anybody who walks in the door when you've already been given the truth. He told the Galatians, how, how has somebody so easily bewitched you when Jesus was so clearly crucified in front of you? How has some, this quickly have you already turned from the gospel to believe in something else that's going to be hard for you? He's saying, don't fall for it. Don't, don't, don't go backwards. And how, how do you do that? Verse 32. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. See, Paul loves the church. He loves these people. He has spent day and night with them. He loves them and all the others that they represent. And he also knows that he can't preserve them. He knows that he's just a man. He cannot preserve these people. He can't hold them up. He can't keep them safe. So what does he do? He said, I'm committing you to God. He's like, I didn't just give you Jesus. I didn't just teach you Jesus. I gave you over to Jesus to hold you up, to sustain you and preserve you for the rest of your days. And he's telling them, those that you love, those that you want the best for, give them Jesus. Be there for them. Be a part of their life. But give them Jesus over and above that. Give them Jesus and give them to Jesus. Give them over to him to shepherd. You may be afflicted for their comfort, but you can't be their savior. You can. And so what's he telling them? Don't look at me. He's saying, don't look at Paul. Paul's going to be gone. Jesus is staying here with you. And Paul isn't going to mean anything to your kids and grandkids in two or three generations down the line. Jesus will. So don't get hung up on the person that brought you to Jesus. Stay hung on the Jesus that they brought to you. Why? Because Paul's going to go away. He's going to go away. He's not going to make it out of the end of the book of Acts. He will go away. But Jesus never does. Jesus never does. He's telling them when you walk in kingdom purpose, when you walk this Jesus life, people are going to love you. Amen. They're going to love you. Make sure they love him more. People are going to trust you. Make sure they trust him more. People are going to follow you. Make sure they follow him above you. They're going to love you. Make sure they love Jesus more because you'll go away and he never will. Paul loves them and he cannot preserve them. And so he commits them to Jesus because they belong to him anyway. And he also commits them to the word of grace. He's told them, be on guard. Why? For, for the lies and, and the things that would come, that, that this life would swallow you back up and, put, and draw you back into darkness. He's like, be on guard for yourselves and others. And how you do that? I'm committing you to Jesus. And I'm also committing you to the word of his grace, the gospel the teaching of who Jesus is and what he's done in the holy scriptures that testify of him. Verse 32 says it's able to build you up. It's able to take you from where you are and continue to construct a, a work of God that will stand the test of time. It's able to build you up and give you an inheritance that will last for generations. It's going to build you up and give you safety and security for your whole life and also for the lives of all those who are coming after you. So I'm committing you to the word of truth, the, the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is a person to welcome truth about that person to declare and life like that person to live. 
That's what the gospel of Jesus is. He's a person that you welcome into your life. And he's truth that you believe and you put your faith in. And he's a life that you live just like he did. And again, it's an inheritance. What can I depend on? What's going to be there when I get old and infirm? What's going to be there for my kids and grandkids? Because I love them, but I can't preserve them. I love them, but I can't be their savior. It gives me an inheritance that I can pass along that's going to last and stand the test of time. And I believe he's telling them as leaders that, that they're not over the word. They're going to testify of the word, but they're not over it. They are under it. And that's where they would rather be. And he goes on to tell them, verse 33, you yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's telling them, y'all know I haven't been trying to get something from you. I've been trying to get something to you. And he states this more than once when he's talking and when he's speaking. So, you know, that was some of the accusations that was that were coming against him. You're just going around trying to take advantage of people, trying to build yourself up, trying to build up your own income. And he's like, y'all know that I, when I was among you, I didn't put that on you. I, I kept working among you with my own hands, not trying to get something from you, but bring something to you. And he said, I've shown you that it's necessary to help the weak. Help. The weak, just like Jesus said when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Taking your strength and putting it into the weakness of others. And some of y'all have heard me talk about that before. The Lord just blew my mind one day when Luke was little and it was hard having little Luke at our house. And I was driving and I was praying over my family and I prayed over Kelly and Abby and Caleb. And I got down to Luke and he was he was less than one. So it was those trying times. And I was like, Lord, we just need some help. This boy is wearing us out. He has got us exhausted. He has just taken everything that we have. And, and, and the, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, your strength is being poured out into his weakness so that out of it, out of his weakness, strength will grow. And I saw it like that, like, like seed and planting that our strength is going. And he was sapping it, man. He was he was pulling all that he could out of us and into him. Our strength going into him. Why? Because he was weak. He didn't have any. But you see, day after day, he gets stronger. Day after day, he gets more capable. Day after day, he gets more able to the point that eventually he's going to be stronger than me. So I'm pouring my strength into his weakness. So out of his weakness, strength will grow and, and produce and he will flourish. Good Lord willing, because he's still taking it. It's still a lot. It's still a lot for Luke. But you think about that. That's what we do in this life. We put our strength into other areas of weakness in the hopes of it, that it'll take root and grow. Because there is weakness that needs strength poured into it. And he's given us uh, that ability. It's, it's the same idea as affliction and comfort. If I'm afflicted, it's for his comfort. Why? So he can grow strong. So that he can grow up. And again, eventually, hopefully, good Lord willing, be able to take care of me. When it flips, he's going to get that. Be like, okay, Luke, now, now daddy's weak. You're putting your strength into daddy's weakness. To get him all the way across the line. Amen. Strength into weakness because why? It's better to give than it is to receive. 
He said, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. He's saying pour your strength out into the weakness of others because there's going to be so much more benefit and enjoyment for you in that than if you were to try to just keep it to yourself. Than if you were to seek your own good and to seek your own way. It's better to give than it is to receive. And, 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 and you don't seek to receive from other people. It's back to that same thing. I'm not looking for other people to be strong for me because if I do that, I'm putting my trust and my faith in a source that is completely limited. It has a ceiling on it. They will run out of strength. And if you draw them too much, they can run out of patience too. But if I'm drawing my strength from him and I've got this deal rightly ordered, he doesn't run out. And so I can continually return to him and be filled up to then go and be poured out my strength into the weakness of others. And then this again, this is what he's doing. He, he is he is instructing the church on how to continue in his absence. And he keeps hitting all of these things. He's like, my, my, my course, my purpose is your same course and purpose. And that's to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that it'll go. And, and if you're afflicted, it's for the comfort of others. When you pour out your strength, it's into their weakness so that strength then can come from them. But it has to be planted there. And in this verse 36, after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone and they embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. That's tough stuff. Many tears. Again, they had such a special relationship. He introduced them to Jesus. And he's telling them, I love you. I'm not ever going to see you again. And so they weep. He had been such a blessing to their life. They had received so much from him. And that relationship just so deep. And then there's still the question, like you, you're going to walk him to the ship. Then what are you doing after you drop him off? What kind of person are you going to be after you go back to Ephesus without him? And we'll close with, with this idea. Paul is saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to people that he loves that he knows he's not going to see again. And again, he went over the past with them, went over the purpose with them and went over his prayer and their preparation for the future. And in, in the past and in the purpose, you get a little bit of a defense against uh, of Paul's life and ministry against all who would try to discredit him. And again, there, there were several. There were many that were speaking ill of him, that, that were spreading lies about him, who he was, what he was doing. And so a little bit of that stands as a defense of uh, those can be put to shame because y'all saw me every day. Day in and day out, y'all saw who I was. I mean, can you imagine all the plots that came against him? And so there's a defense there. And then in the prayer for the future, there's the how should we live? We should follow this example. We should follow what his teaching said. We should stay in the word and we should help the weak. And so it was defending him and what he had done. And it was also encouraging the church that when he leaves, here's what you should do. And, and interesting to me, when this was written, when Luke sat down and wrote these words that would become the end of chapter 20 in the book of Acts, Paul, almost all scholars agree, had already died. It was after Paul's death that Luke wrote this, wrote about this event. 
and wrote these words. And I believe that part of it was coming through his hand as a memorial to this man of God who had been afflicted for his comfort. I believe there was a little bit of it. There was a lot of people were saying all these things about him. Here's who he really was. Here's how he really was and defended this man's life and his practices. And he encouraged, he's encouraging the church to follow the teachings of Paul, which were the teachings of Jesus. To follow his example as the church continues to grow and continues to spread. And it, it usually takes some time and some distance to see something in proper perspective. And so I believe when Luke writes this about Paul, the church, he includes this scene on purpose. He includes that this happened on purpose because, it, it, again, in the text, it's going to be a, the, the conclusion of Paul's missionarying, his, his journeying about the, the church planting, that the preaching in all of these unreached areas, it, it's going to that's drawing to a close. And he's about to move to a, to, to a position where he's defending what he has already done in Jerusalem and in Rome. He's going to have to provide a defense for the ministry that he has carried out. And so as that's concluding, I believe Luke is wanting us to see here's who Paul was. He loved Jesus and he loved people in Jesus's name. He taught them the truth. He didn't hold anything back. He gave them the full counsel. He taught him about grace. He taught him about repentance and he taught him about faith. He wasn't trying to get anything from him. He was trying to get something to them. He was afflicted for our comfort and he showed us to give our strength to the weak, just like Jesus said. I believe from Luke, this is a personal Memorial. You know, when we're talking about Memorial Day or, or a day of remembering what somebody else has done for us, I believe that's what he's doing here when he's writing about Paul. And it just blesses my heart because I can hear him saying Paul was afflicted for my comfort. Paul introduced me to Jesus. I loved him. Man, did I love him. All of us did. We miss him. We wish we could see his face again. We're thankful for him. And we're going to continue to press on in the good work that we saw him start. And again, he didn't receive it from a man. He received it from Jesus. The course that he was on, we're on to. And we're looking to be Paul or the likeness of that in somebody else's life. What we received from Jesus through Paul, we want other people to receive from Jesus through us. So as we're finishing up, something we go away thinking about. What do we want? Upon reflection, when somebody looks back on our life, when they write about us, which they, they won't write like this, but they'll write it with their words and they'll write it with their actions. What do we want them upon reflection to settle on about us? How do we want them to reflect on us, especially those that loved us. Enemies, they're going to do what they're going to do. People that would talk against you are still going to talk against you. What did Peter say? He said, live your life in such a way that the people that would say bad things about you will look foolish. Live your life and conduct yourself in such a way that if somebody would throw accusations at you, everybody's just going to go, are you stupid or something? What are you even talking about? You talking about him? You talking about her? She would do that? No, you're an idiot. That's what he said. 
But the folks that love you, how do you want them to look back and reflect on your life? You want it to be just like that, don't you? They love Jesus. They love me. They told me the truth. As much of it as they could tell me, they told me. And they led me in the right way. Man, I miss them. But they left behind a legacy and inheritance when they committed me to Jesus. That I can carry on. See, because you know, we're going to go just like the generations ahead of us have gone. We want to leave the things behind that matter. We want to leave the things behind that make a difference. And you may say, Stephen, they're going to have a hard time saying that about me. I've really jacked things up to, up to this point. I have really made a mess up to this point. I would like to introduce you to Paul. I would like to introduce you to him because he made a mess of his life too. He went about persecuting Christians, those who were of the way, dragging them out of their houses, splitting up their family. He did terrible things to the church. And he said, I am so ashamed of the way that I acted. I'm so ashamed of what I did. And I'm so amazed by the grace of Jesus Christ that he would accept me and call me into being this in life today. He said, I'm not even, you don't even put me on a scale with those other apostles. He's like, I'm not because I've done so much against him. So you may think, you, oh, I've jacked it up way up to this point. He, he jacked his stuff up too. And still at the end, he had people saying this about him. It's never too late. It is never, ever too late. But what do we want when we're memorialized, when we're remembered? Do we want it to be said, well, they were just out for themselves. They were just out to get what they could get. Or is it going to be, they were strong when I was weak. They were afflicted. It was for my comfort. And I saw them day after day. And that's who they were. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all those that have been afflicted for our comfort. Lord, as we, as we come up on Memorial Day and as we remember and memorialize those servicemen and women who gave the ultimate sacrifice and service to our country, who were afflicted and, that, and their families afflicted for our comfort, that we remember that greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for a friend. Lord, and we don't take lightly those sacrifices and we don't take it as just a day off from work, but we're mindful that for comfort to exist, it comes out of affliction. And Lord, we, we, we pray blessings upon those who, who for this day coming up is a tough one. We pray your comfort upon them because the only true comfort can flow from you. And Lord, as we hear about these words of Paul and we hear about these interactions as he was saying goodbye to the church at Ephesus, that we be mindful of how we live our life. You're not calling us to be Paul, but you're calling us to be the person you have built us to be in the place you have put us in. And we can have an impact. We can pour out our strength into the weakness of others so that out of their weakness, strength can come. And if we're afflicted, let it be for the comfort of another. I thank you that we've been committed to Jesus Christ and to the, to, to the gospel of his grace and to the word of truth that's able to build us up and give us an inheritance that is going to last for generations. And as we receive comfort from you, 
I thank you that we're able to pass that along. That at, the, at our end, when we're memorialized, it'll be they, they love Jesus and they love me. And they told the truth and they did what was right and they helped people. They put out their strength, even if it brought affliction, even if it brought difficulty upon them to bless others and to bring Jesus to other people. And Lord, that they'll love us, but they'll love you more. That they'll, they'll follow us in following you, but they'll follow you above all. And Lord, of all the things that we would think would disqualify us, that we remember Paul and we remember all the others that you called, all the things you had to cover in their life, all the mercy and grace that had to be poured out so that they could become who they became. I thank you that the same is available for us and that we shouldn't count as small the grace that you've extended to us because your grace is sufficient for us. Your strength has been made perfect in our weakness. You poured out your strength into our weakness. And out of that weakness, we've grown strong in you. And you've given us the ability to be there for somebody else. Thank you. As we get ready to go today, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and give us peace.